life as the people of God. Heavenly Father, grateful again uh, as we gather uh, today uh, to know that uh, your promises um, are manifested in Christ Jesus. Um, Not only the word before us in the scripture or on our, our phone in an app or on a tablet, but even more so manifest in the person and work of Jesus himself. And that when we, we hear Jesus' words and we, we listen to his teaching, um, that it's not just something that happened back then for the men and women who gathered around him um, 2,000 years ago, but it's for us today as well. And so we just pray that as we uh, hear the words of Jesus today, uh, that you would help, it, help us apply it to our life, um, our congregational life together, and certainly our life as individuals um, as you send us out to the world to bear witness uh, to your love. So thank you for your word as it is before us. Reform us and shape us as the people you're creating us to be. And we ask it in your son's name. Amen. All right. All right, so as I said earlier in the announcements, next week is Pentecost Sunday. All right, that's where we enter into uh, what we call in the church the long green season. Right, and that is the pyramids behind me. They'll be red on Sunday, but then for the rest of the summer, they'll be green. And the story of Pentecost is the story of the early church and the Word of God moving through the people of God to bring people to life and faith in Christ. Right, so we're building up then, if you will, for that celebration next Sunday um, when we see that outpouring and when it becomes, if you will, the primary fuel to spread the gospel. But beyond being the primary fuel to spread the gospel, there's something else that's important that happens uh, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that is the unifying of the church, all right? That is the Spirit binding the people of God together, centered around the person and work of Jesus for a specific reason, right? Uh, Not only to care and and love one another, uh, but also to share uh, and to uh, to send God's Word out into the world. And what we've been doing with Ascension last Sunday and then with the text we're going to look at today is we're building up then to Pentecost. We're sort of laying the groundwork for the the work of the Holy Spirit. We're trying to better understand the implications of next week on our life of faith as the people of God. And so what I want to do with you this morning as a foreshadowing, if you will, is look at the words of Jesus, right, as the disciples have gathered around him. And in particular, look at the words of Jesus in his prayer to the Father, all right? His prayer to the Father concerning you and concerning me as the people of God. So our text, even though it doesn't seem as monumental, all right, as Pentecost will seem next week when we we look at uh, the book of Acts, it's still important. And I think it sheds light uh, uh, for us on our lives as the people of God. So let's look at the text. It's going to be John chapter 17. All right, just picture in your mind Jesus, and Jesus in some sort of physical posture of prayer before the Father, and Jesus saying these words on behalf of the disciples and certainly on our behalf. My prayer, Jesus said, is not for them alone. Who's them? Them being the disciples, right, that are currently with him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Those who will believe are are folks like you and me, the generations to follow that have received this message that has been passed down from person to person. My prayer, though, is that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So you can hear the the unifying aspect of his request. 
May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know you that have sent me. I've made known to you, to them, I've made no, sorry, it's a tongue twister. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, Jesus focuses our attention on the future. He begins to pray not only for those who are with him in that, in that context, that contemporary setting, but also for you and for me, for the church throughout the ages around the world. Um, if you were to go back and read the entirety of chapter 17, you would discover that this whole chapter is given over to Jesus for praying for us, right? First for our salvation or security, uh, and then what I might call sanctity or sanctification. He's praying that you and I might become more like him. But here, in this particular chunk that we have for today, he's concerned about what? Unity. Oneness. This image we project to the world as the people of God, all right, with our faith and with our actions. He's concerned about unity, that the people of God experience a spiritual unity uh, like the oneness of the Father and the Son. It's the idea that even though we may belong to different denominations or fellowships or, or confessions of Christian faith, we belong to the same Lord, one and all. And this is going to be important then in understanding Pentecost next week with that unifying power of the Spirit moving the people of God. Anyway, listen to this from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, all right? He says this, uh, and listen for the unifying words. There is how many? One body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and all. And certainly Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, other examples of scriptures where this unifying idea is put before the people of God for the purposes of God. But let's go back to the text from John and let's think about it this way. The disciples all right, if you were to read through the Gospels and, and kind of follow along their relationships and their responses to situations and, and the way they, they um, carried themselves before others, it's not always, let's put it this way, they don't always do a good job <laughs> of representing what it means to, to love one another, do they? In fact, the disciples at times exhibit a spirit of selfishness. At times, the disciples exhibit a, a spirit of competition, and even at times, they exhibit a spirit of disunity among them as followers of Christ. That, you know, a well-known illustration might be the, um, the relationship between Peter and John, all right? Apparently, from what we can glean from the scriptures is that those two had a, if you will, a, a healthy competition with one another as to who was the, the favored <laughs> Uh, disciple of Jesus. Um, but you know, if we're honest about it, it's not simply contained to the past, is it? We still see it in the church today. 
We're not excused from the competitive spirit that can manifest itself in a, in a sinful spirit in our criticisms or caricatures of others, right? Even within the body of Christ. I remember um, listening to uh, the former district president of the Texas district of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Is that a mouthful? Um, that is our denomination, our Lutheran church body. And he was talking about uh, the history of the church and particularly the Lutheran church in its origins in Texas and its relationship with other Christians. Because the Lutherans back then thought the biggest threat to the gospel in the mid-1800s when they were, when they were settling and, and uh, immigrants were coming over from Germany, they said the biggest threat to the gospel was the Methodists. <laughs> it wasn't Satan. <laughs> it wasn't a, a, a message that was different from this. They felt like um, that the greatest enemy um, was the Methodist. And I say that as someone who grew up Methodist, right, before converting uh, or becoming a Lutheran. Um, you know, yes, we have differences in our understanding of certain passages of Scripture, certainly. Um, but contrary to what Satan would have us believe, all right, other sheep are not a threat, all right? The wolf is a threat, Right? It's the wolf who's the threat. So, my question to you then is, what is the basis for Christian unity? Is it Paul? Is it Luther? Is it Calvin? Is it Wesley? Is it uh, one of the creeds of the church? Is it one of the early church fathers? Um, it's not. The unity for the body of Christ around the world and across the ages is simply Jesus the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let me give you an example. Uh, the Apostle Paul will cement it this way. This is from Colossians chapter 1. This is an early Christian creed, all right? Um, historians believe that this may have been spoken in worship by Christians, um, similar to what when you might speak the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Um, but this is an early Christian creed about Jesus and his place, all right? Paul writes this, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and in him, or for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So you, you hear this unifying language, don't you? And he is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So in knowing this and in believing this, this work of faith in our hearts and minds by the Holy Spirit then, brothers and sisters, generates for you and me a response to this message generates a response from us as the people of God about the unifying factor of Christ and the call on our lives uh, to be united as the church. So for our purposes today, put it for you like this, that the particular response, all right, is not only a head acknowledgement about what Christ desires for us in this oneness, this unity, but also, brothers and sisters, that this unity would be lived out in our lives as the people of God. 
that we actively working in love and purpose and action submit to this revelation we have received that has been passed down from generation to generation around the world and across the ages and use this as motivation for us that not only are we supposed to see and celebrate this principle in scripture but make it a reality in our life today and so let me share with you a couple ways in which um, it's a reality for us as the people of God. The first, I would say, is a ministry that we participate in called Stephen Ministry. Some of you may be familiar with this. Uh, some of you may not. But Stephen Ministry is a ministry that was started decades ago, a ministry that spans denominational lines. And Stephen Ministry trains lay people like yourself to bring a ministry of presence into the lives of others. You're not there to fix it, all right? You're simply there to be there for that person, to listen to them as they grieve, as they, they go through whatever they're encountering, and be a, a source of encouragement and hope uh, for them uh, in their life. And that training, as I said, is cross-denominational, and we have people who participate in that. Um, and that's one way that we express this unity of the body of Christ in a ministry that not only is active in our church, a Lutheran church, but is active in a Methodist church and is active in, a, in an Anglican church. Um, you know, you get the idea. Or how about another aspect of uh, unifying missions, or unifying work? A mission trip, right? The mission trip that we take uh, every summer uh, with the teens or the, the students take and the adult chaperones. Teens sometimes come from different churches or schools to be part of that, but we go and we work with different organizations, not necessarily part of our denomination, but our point of being there is not only physically to labor amongst those who need that help, but also, brothers and sisters, to, to encourage them as other members of the body of Christ to say, you are not forgotten. Even though we may not be of the same tribe, right? Nonetheless, we worship the same Lord, and we're here to support you. I think lastly, I would put it before you this way. Another expression of the unity of the church at work is with our ministry partners. Those of you who know our congregation well know that we have a number of ministry partners in Dallas County that we work with on a daily basis, right? To put before others uh, assistance for the help that they need, uh, the gospel at times, that's our greatest, obviously, desire and prayer. But ministry partners who not only occupy our building on a regular basis, but ministry partners with whom uh, we go and do things for, right? Again, another expression uh, of the attempt of the body of Christ to be a part of the unifying factor uh, in the community around us because it is in response to the prayer Jesus is praying for us. But why does he pray that? Again, don't forget that integral part of that prayer. Um, and this is an example from John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, he speaks to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. Uh, why? By this everyone will what? Know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A church that is involved actively loving uh, within the congregation, but also actively loving the community right, becomes known uh, by, uh, becomes known as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, you also have to remember, though, that this unity that's envisioned, envisioned here is not institutional, all right, uh, and that can be a, a big hang-up for some people, right, 
Like, I don't want anything to do with you unless you're part of my tribe, right? Uh, you may have heard that before, but um, that can be prevalent in some circles. That, brothers and sisters, is where the institution has become the idol. That's where the person ends up seeing himself, herself, as, a, as the protectorate of that institution. They're constantly on the defensive, always pointing out what's wrong with someone else, right? While trying to justify their own existence. Now, the other extreme, though, the flip side, and that's dangerous too, all right? Now, that's where you don't have any concern for the, for the institution, what it stands for, um, its core tenets, its beliefs, its structure, its purpose. And so you're basically tossed about like a, a ship on the, on the ocean without a rudder. You're driven by the, the winds of, of public opinion or pop culture. You're no good to, to anybody, really. So think of it this way, because there's no doubt that that unity is meant to be observable before the world, that sort of otherworldly unity. Uh, D.A. Carson, who is a, a professor at a, a Denver seminary in Colorado, writes this in his commentary. He says um, about this particular section, about the observable unity of the church, by love that is joyfully sacrificial, by undaunted commitment to the shared goals of the mission with which we have been charged, by conscience dependence on God himself for life and fruitfulness, by love that is joyfully sacrificial, a commitment to shared goals of the mission, that the gospel would be made known among the nations. You know, when um, I lived in Atlanta, I had the opportunity to be a part of a, a, the founding of of what is called the Atlanta Church Planting Alliance. Uh, and that was an effort, in, an ongoing effort still to this day, uh, by different denominations uh, to resource and encourage one another in, in planting churches and spreading the gospel uh, in the city. All right? Now, we didn't uh, plant churches with one another, uh, but we met on a regular basis to pray for one another uh, and, to, um, uh, and to learn leadership uh, skills and, and retreats and, and things like that. In fact, to this day, seven years later, it's now a 501c3 with a board of directors, and it continues, all right, to put before the city this idea of Christians united to make a difference in the city for the sake of that population. So that's undaunted commitment to shared goals. And that's what it looked like for me as a pastor in my role that I found myself in that city and so the challenge for you and me then is to discover what does it look like for us today? What does it look like for you and your role? So maybe think of it this way. Um, so think about team sports, all right? Think about pro football, all right? I know we're in baseball season and um, the French Open's on today and, you know, getting ready for the Tour de France and all that kind of stuff. But football's coming, right? Amen? Football's coming, right? Um, so you know how the Patriots win the Super Bowl every year? <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's two of you have accused the Patriots of cheating already in this morning. So, remember, <laughs> three. Hey, don't bear false witness, right? You've got to keep the commandment. Think of it this way, if you will. And this is kind of an imperfect comparison, but um, so the Patriots win the Super Bowl every year, right? The team wins, the team shares in the glory, right? Yeah? Um, but reality, who's the captain of that team? Tom Brady, right? He ends up invariably being the MVP. Um, 
he captains the team to that win. So, okay, imperfect as it, as it is, perhaps it's a way of describing for you and for me how we share in Christ's glory, right? We are on the winning team, right? And Jesus, if you will, has captained us to that glory that we share in the forgiveness of sins. We share the reality of life everlasting as the people of God. It's not just something out there after we die, but it's here for us today. It's here for us today as the people of God. And so the glory of the Father that he gave the Son is transmitted then to you and me by the work of Christ. Transmitted in the sense that he's completed for us this revelation that we saw, right, in Scripture. This forgiveness, this power, this life, he's won for us. And in winning it for us, shares with us the glory of God which is given to him. And so his power forgives, his power raises the dead, his power brings us that glory and invites us then into a response, invites us into a way of living out that life of faith, of living out that good news we've heard as the people of God. So not only is it seen in the church and our relationships with one another as we love others, but it's also manifests in the Spirit as it's poured out upon the people of God. And that pouring out of the Spirit then becomes the going forth of the people of God. And the going forth is seen by others and the church begins to grow. The church begins to grow and grow until that very prayer Jesus prayed that day, which you heard me read at the beginning, that very prayer is answered. That ultimate experience of unity for the people of God with God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. um, Here's a great example, though, of that day. This is Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11. Paul writes this to the church at Philippi. He says, therefore God exalted him, who's him? Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every means every, not just most or um, a majority. It means every one acknowledge. You know, It's one thing to receive this message. It is another thing to live it out. I get it, all right, even within the church. Because what? The church is packed with sinful people, right? The church is packed with sinful people in need of God's grace and will always struggle to exhibit that grace to others, even with those whom we love and do a life in ministry with. It's just, let me share with you, though, this. Okay, this is a screenshot I took this week of a catalog. I know it's a bad shot, but um, I thought, you know, the Book of Mood, which you actually can't find in the Word, um, the Book of Mood 24-7, right, um, simply says, thou shalt not get on my nerves, right? How would you like to wear that shirt to work tomorrow, right? <laughs> um, and have your coworker ask you, uh, why are you wearing that shirt? And you could simply say, I'm learning to love others as I love myself, uh, or not, or not. All right, but the unifying factor is Jesus, and the recognition that he continues to pray for us as we as the people of God would be brought to complete unity, to complete purpose, uh, and the knowledge of that wealth of love which the Father and Son have that together. He wants that for us. So consider some application. Who do you know is a Christian that perhaps practices in another denomination? Okay, write down their name, And commit to praying for that person this week. That they, in their congregation and their tribe, they would know the love of God in Christ Jesus and know the presence of God in a powerful way. 
that they would experience the unity of what it means to be a follower. Is it a friend? Is it a family member? Or how about this? Be really bold and call them up and say, hey, can I go to church with you on Sunday? (laughs) It's not because I don't like Holy Cross, right? (laughs) But I want to see what the grass is like in your pasture. And I want to encourage you and acknowledge that you're a sister or a brother in Christ. Just make sure you come back, please, if you do. Or how about this? You know, you can talk to Angie and you can commit to to coming up here this summer and volunteering. Like, even if it's just for one day during one of the camps or perhaps all week if you you have that time. Uh, But get plugged into walking around and, and meeting the students that come and the families that come and seeing that they come from all different walks of life. There's a lot more people here not from Holy Cross during summer camp. Um, And so that's an awesome opportunity to meet other people um, whom God created in his image and is calling us to love and to get to know, right? Or as I said earlier, when I mentioned Stephen ministry, connect with Shelly, you know, or ask me. See what it's like to be a part of an effort within the body of Christ to bring hope and healing uh, to people who are hurting simply through a ministry of presence. Think about that. You know, one of the things that we could even consider as a congregation as the Lord leads us is maybe, it, maybe we're going to be called soon to get involved in a, a, an international mission effort that we can create a, a long-term relationship with an organization uh, that we can develop uh, and learn from them as, as they learn from us. And we see the reality of the, the church of God around the world as God expands our vision as to what it means to love and to serve those who are different from us. Because it's one thing for us to sit here and move our heads up and down. You know, that sounds good. But it's another to respond to this invitation from Christ to experience God's glory through the church together in one way or another. Let me close with this. I'm going to put the last verse. As you hear these words from the Apostle Paul, listen to what is on his heart and mind. Listen to the unity, all right, that he prays for. And perhaps, brothers and sisters, it'll become a reality in your life and my life too. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen.